Uh, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 3. Here in just a moment, we'll, we'll start there and we'll read down to verse 14 today for our text. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, it says that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was everywhere. And then God's first recorded words in the whole Bible come in Genesis 1 verse 3 when God says, let there be what? Light. Let there be light. And I think it's very fitting. I think it's intentional that God made those his first recorded words in the Bible. Because not only was he making light right there on the spot, but for the rest of the Bible, that is what God is doing. The rest of the Bible is God saying to us, let there be light. Here is light. Receive it. Know it. Understand it and live in it. And that's what we get all throughout Scripture is God revealing to us the light of Himself and the light of His truth so that eventually we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. That the truth of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ would move us from darkness into God's marvelous light. From darkness to light. Today, we will see in our passage how after you come from darkness into that marvelous light, after you come to Christ, you must live as a person of light. You must choose to live as a child of light rather than as a servant of the darkness. Let me show you what I mean. Paul writes to us in chapter 5 of Ephesians, starting in verse 3. This is God's word to us through the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now I'm going to spend about the first half of the sermon today talking about Paul's warning to us against the deeds of darkness, and then we'll spend the second half of the sermon talking about how Paul's 
uh, exhorting us to walk in the light. And so first, let's talk about Paul's warning to us. This passage is a warning against the darkness, against the deeds of darkness. Paul is saying to us, do not live a life of darkness. And by darkness, he means sin, ungodliness. You can see this in verses 3 through 5, especially. Twice in those verses, he will mention this uh, this grouping of three sins, and these are not the only sins there are, but in verse 3 and verse 5, he speaks of three specifically, kind of representing the life of darkness. He speaks of sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Now we know he's talking about more than that because we've got verse 4 there, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. We know up in chapter 4, he has spoken to us of not living the old life of lying, of anger, of things like corruptive speech or stealing. But here he adds these. Specifically, he begins with sexual immorality. And what a fitting place that is to begin to describe this life of darkness, sexual immorality. This has always been one of the main ways God calls his people to be set apart from the world. You must be different in the ways that you express and restrain your sexuality and your sexual desires. It's one of the primary ways God has always called his people to be different from the world. Ours is a culture obsessed with sexuality, right? And you're going to get it on all kinds of different fronts, all kinds of different avenues. The world is constantly teaching us. The world is discipling us about sexuality. And what we are told today is not only that sex sells, not only that sex gets ratings and that it gets attention, but we are told that the sex drive within us is our identity. It's our identity. The world says your sexual desires inside of you, that's who you are. That is your identity. And so you have to say yes to them at all times. You have to give full vent to them. What happens when you try to remove God from the world? What happens? Well, all of these other things get distorted, including our sexual desires. And so when you remove God from the world, the sex drive within us becomes a God itself. That's what's happened in our culture. We don't believe in God. We don't believe in God's law, God's words, God's commandments, and God's rules for our lives. And so our desires within us, it's the strongest thing that we can, we, we can fathom. And it becomes a God itself. And so the world is telling us to say yes to every desire that is within us, especially our sexual desires. And the world is telling us that your sexuality is your identity. But as God's people, we must be characterized by restraining our sexual desires and keeping sexuality within its proper boundaries. Glenn Scrivener Christian author and speaker once said that sex is like holy fire. Sex is like holy fire. So, for example, in our house here in Columbia, we've got a fireplace in the middle of our living room. It's right in the middle of our house, really. And we can press a button 
and get fire in the middle of our house. Previous civilizations would have thought that was magic, right? We can just press a button. There's fire in our house, right there in the fireplace. But what would happen if I go start setting fires in different places in my house? Well, the results would be catastrophic. I'd burn the place down, and I could very well injure or take the lives of human beings in the process. You see, that fire is good as long as it stays in its proper place, as long as it stays within its proper boundaries. But once you take it outside of that boundary, it will wreak havoc. It will cause all kinds of damage. And sex is the same way, brothers and sisters. Sex is the same way. God has called us as his people, and he has historically called his people all throughout history to be different from the world in the ways of sexuality in the ways that we restrain and even in the ways that we express our sexual desires. It's one of the primary ways that we must be different from the world in following God. Now notice also in these verses he adds covetousness. Covetousness, or in some translations it'll be greed, which is just the same thing. Greed or covetousness. This, you might say, is the heart-level initial sin that leads to things like sexual immorality or stealing or lying. It's the heart level beginning sin. Think about the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right? All of the Ten Commandments, of all of the Ten Commandments, the tenth one is do not covet, and that one is a sin of the heart that can lead to so many of the others. James 4 talks about how coveting in your heart leads to all manner of sin like fights and quarrels and even murder. Coveting in your heart can lead to murdering someone else. And so sexual immorality, covetousness, and then he adds, notice there in verse 3, in the middle of those two, he says all impurity. All impurity. Kind of a catch-all term. All kinds of impure actions, thoughts, language, and the like. These are the unfruitful works of darkness that he mentions in verse 11. Do you see that? Verse 11, where he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. That's what he's talking about. That's what these are. And it's interesting to note that in verse 3, Paul says that these things must not even be named. Among you, these things must not even be named or... He says kind of a similar thing in verse 12. In verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Now, got to understand this rightly. What Paul is not saying is that it's wrong to ever even refer to these things. Paul refers to them right here in these passages. So it's, it's not wrong to ever refer to the sins of darkness that we're talking about right now. It's not wrong to ever mention them. So what is he talking about when he says they must not even be named among you or it's shameful even to speak of them? What he means is it is not proper for Christians to speak about sins in such a way that gives approval to them. Or you might say it's not proper or appropriate for us to speak about sins in such a way that makes it seem like they are no big deal. It treats them lightly. It's not proper for us to speak about them in those ways. It's not proper for us to speak about sins in such a way that gives the impression that these things are funny. These things are something to be laughed at. We joke about them. 
And it is not proper for us to speak about sins in such detail that it might cause other people to be tempted to sin. So there are, there are improper ways of speaking about these things. It doesn't mean you can never refer to them, but there are improper ways that we sometimes speak about sin. And I think all of us have probably done this. If we take an honest look at ourselves and our speech, right? We sometimes speak about sin in an improper way. It makes light of it, gives approval to it, jokes around about it, or gives too much detail. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. What's he saying there? He's saying, don't you let anyone convince you that these things are not a big deal. Don't ever let anyone convince you that these sins that we're talking about are not a big deal. Because rest assured, you will hear that kind of thing. You will hear it. What's the big deal? It's just a little fill in the blank. Right? What's the big deal? Do not fall for that. Those are empty words. That's deception from Satan himself. Don't let anyone convince you that these things are not a big deal. Why? What does Paul say? What's the reason in verse 6 why you shouldn't let anyone convince you that these things are no big deal? He says, for the wrath of God comes because of these things. These things produce the wrath of God on those who indulge in them, on those who are characterized by them. These things that we are to think are no big deal, these things keep people out of heaven. These things that we think are no big deal, these things end you up in hell. They are the biggest deal. You cannot think about them too seriously. People might call you a prude. People might call you old-fashioned. People might say you are out of touch. And if you go to heaven, that's worth it every time. People might say that you, you, you just have no idea of the way the word real, world really works. And if that's the case, so be it. It is worth it, brothers and sisters, to not end up in hell. Don't ever let anyone convince you that these things are no big deal. They are serious. They are no laughing matter. The movies and the TV shows and the video games and the online content that is being put out today in such measure make light of sins that the Lord hates. They make light of sins that send people to hell. They are not helping us be closer to the Lord. They are not helping us to be holy. They are not helping us to be light. Some of us need to make a concerted decision that I need to change what comes into my eyes and my mind because it is not worth going to hell over. The world is putting that stuff in front of us all the time and it's convinced a bunch of us that it's no big deal because we see it all the time. We've become desensitized to it and that's exactly what Satan wants. It's exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to think you are completely safe when in reality you are playing with fire. We have got to learn to treat these things like the serious threats to our salvation that they are. The world is full of it. And I understand that we are drawn to it. We are. 
A bunch of us have lived our lives in such a way that we're attracted to these things now. And it's our own fault, but that's where, we are, that's where we're at. Those, those things attract us. I am not sitting here saying that those things are completely unattractive. I am not sitting here saying, well, only a fool would go watch a movie like that. No, it, 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 it pulls at us. It's tempting for a reason. It's strong for a reason. But we've got to decide, what do we want more? What do we want more? Do you want to go to school, teenagers, and be the person who can talk intelligibly about the, the latest movie and the latest TV show? Or do you want to go to heaven? Do we want to, to be in the conversations of everybody in the know because we've seen that latest thing and we've watched that latest thing and, and we, can, we can have a conversation with people that people find entertaining? Or do we want to go to heaven? Because that stuff could lead us down a path to hell. And we will regret it for all eternity if we don't treat these sins like the serious threats to our salvation that they are. Sometimes our little kids are singing songs that have more wisdom in them than all of our adult conversations. And one of those songs that our little kids sing is, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There is a ton of wisdom in that. Guard your eyes, guard your mind, guard your heart, and don't let it be led astray. Don't let anyone convince you that these things are no big deal. Because as Paul says, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience because of these things. And so, Paul says, do not walk in the darkness, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light of light. Verse 8. Now, when Paul says light, what does he mean? When he says light, what does he mean? Well, throughout scripture, you'll see light as a way of talking about truth. And so oftentimes when God says, when a biblical author says light, they really mean truth. For example, in Psalm 119, David says to God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? A light unto my path. It's the truth of God's word that makes things visible, right? The truth. Oftentimes light means truth. But if you continue to go deeper into the word, especially in the New Testament, you start to learn that light is not just truth. Light and truth is a person. It's a person. According to the Bible, light and truth, that's a person. John 1, starting in verse 5 or verse 4. The beginning of John's gospel, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in John 8, verse 12, as if there was any question who we're talking about, John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's Jesus. Light is a person. It's Jesus. You want to walk as children of light because we are children of the one who is light. Jesus is light. We are Christians. 
If you call yourself a Christian, if you have come to Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, you are a Christian. But what does that mean, Christian? Well, notice Christ in the beginning of that word, Christian. Christian just means your little Christ. We're a bunch of little Christs walking around. We're trying to be like Jesus. We're just little Jesuses, little Christs. And so it says, walk as children of light. Christ is the light and we are little Christs. And it doesn't just say we are in the light. It doesn't just say we walk in the light. Look at verse 8. It says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. You are light. Not just you are in the light. You are light. Or verse 14. Anything that come, becomes visible is light. You are light. You're not just in the light. You're not just near the light. You're not just like the light. You are light. What does Jesus say? Well, in John, 8, he sa- John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. But what did he say in Matthew 5? In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. It's something that I would never believe unless it's actually there in the Bible. I couldn't believe it unless it's actually there. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, you are the light of the world. This is an immense privilege that we do not deserve. We are the light of the world, just like Jesus is the light of the world. I'm not saying that you are as holy as Jesus is holy. We're not saying that you are as influential as Jesus is influential or as wise as he is wise. But you are light in this world, just like he was light in this world. He says, I am the light of the world and you are the light of the world. We are God's lights shining forth in this world of darkness. And since you are light, if you have come to Christ, if you have been born again, since you are light, Paul says, do not partner with the darkness. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, do not become partners with them. Or verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. God has made you a new creation for himself. God has made you a light for himself. And therefore, you must be that light. Now, this goes back to something we talked about last week. When you come to Christ, when you come to Christ, there's a part of it that's passive When you are born again, there's a part of it that's passive. You don't do this to yourself. God changes you. God gives you a new heart. God makes you a new creation. Right? Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God did that. God gave you a new heart. So part of this is passive. But then all throughout the New Testament, you see the New Testament writers saying, but you've got to do it. You've got to be that person yourself. You've got to be who God has made you to be. You've got to be who you are. So it's not just passive. It depends on you too. You've got to decide to live and walk in the light and to shun the darkness. You've got to decide, as Paul said in Ephesians 4, to put off the old self and to put on the new self, even though you've already been made new. It's kind of like a paradox, right? We've been made new, but we've got to act in that way. We've been made as lights in the world. God has made us light, but we've got to be light. 
in the world. We've got to make a decision to do it. And we've got to make a decision to shun that darkness, to not partner with it. Not only do we not partner with it, but look at what verse 11 continues on to say. In verse 11, Paul says, take no part in those unfruitful works of darkness, but instead what? Expose them. We expose the deeds of darkness. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about light and darkness for a second. If you are light, you are light in this world. What does light do? It exposes whatever is hidden in the darkness. If I go down to my basement at night and I'm looking for something, I need to turn on the light so I can see where these things are. Otherwise, they are hidden in darkness. You go down to certain rooms and you flip on a light and all of a sudden things scurry across the floor, right? Turn on the light because it exposes the things that were hiding in the darkness. That's what light does. And we are light in this world. If you are in Christ, you are light in this world. And light will expose the things that are hidden in darkness. Sin wants to remain in darkness. Sin wants to remain in hiding. Satan would very much like us not to talk about sins and to act like they don't exist. But we must shine the light of Christ on sin and expose it for what it is. Now there's an important qualification here. Important qualification when he says expose the deeds of darkness. Paul does not mean that you are to go around being God's holiness police. Paul does not mean that you are to go around finding other people who sin and then tattletelling on them to everyone who will listen to you. That is not what Paul is saying we are to do. We are not to sit in condemnation over other people. We are not to make sure that everyone knows how bad this person over here is. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were wonderful at that. And he constantly pronounced condemnations on them for it. We are not, in light of this exhortation to expose the deeds of darkness, we are not to be God's holiness police. But your very life as the light of the world, your very life will expose sin around you. You often won't even have to say anything. Your very life will expose sin around you. Have you ever had this happen? You're speaking, to a, you're, you're speaking and, and hanging out with a group of people and all of a sudden someone apologizes for something that they've said because oh, they know you're a Christian, right? Oftentimes your very life, if you don't hide your faith, if you don't hide your relationship with Jesus under a bowl, like he says in Matthew 5, if you don't hide it, your very life will expose the sin around you. When I was younger, before I went into full-time ministry, right when I graduated college, I worked at a wholesale distribution warehouse in Lexington for mobile home parts, believe it or not. And we were a pretty big operation, if you might not, you might not believe it, but we were pretty big. And we would sell products for mobile home parts in two different ways. Uh, we had a big warehouse, and we were a wholesaler, so we would either sell them over the phone to businesses and deliver them ourselves. We had a delivery service with trucks and the whole nine yards, or people who were close enough to our facility could come and pick things up from the warehouse as long as they were a wholesale licensed dealer. So sometimes I would work the counter where people would come pick stuff up. Well, early on, I was learning 
and I was not as experienced as I was later on, and a lady came in, and let's just say she was perpetually in a bad mood, and I was a rookie, and so that did not make her happy because it was going slower than she would have liked. And to her credit, I, I was still learning. I was not knowledgeable like I probably could have been. I was not as knowledgeable as what she was used to when she would come into that place. And so I, I, I had to figure out all kinds of things while she was right there waiting. And pretty soon it was enough for her. And she cussed me up and down the walls. And she gave me every word in the book. And she let me know how much I was upsetting her with just about all the adjectives and verbiage that you could think of that I won't repeat here. But I was trained to, you know, be deferential and apologize and just let her go on her way. And so the way that we did things was I'd take her order up there and then I'd hand it to our warehouse guys and I'd have her pull around back and then they would load her up. So she she pulled around back after she gave me my, my third degree and then... I had the guys load her up and gave the ticket to a guy named Steve in the warehouse. Steve was super knowledgeable about that place and had worked there almost his whole life. And so Steve went back there and started loading her up. And Steve, Steve just kind of overheard what she did because a lot of the guys overheard what she was doing to me. And Steve walked right back in there and started putting stuff in her trailer. And he said, you know, uh, that guy's studying to be a minister. He's going to be a preacher. And and so a couple minutes later, after she got loaded up, I heard another ding up at the, the front counter. I went to see who it was, and it was her. And she looked at me, and she goes, I am so sorry. <laughs> and I just couldn't help but start laughing, because apparently she thought, I guess I'm gonna, I've got some kind of like line to God where I'm going to pray, and God's going to strike her with lightning or something. I don't know what she thought. But it was because she heard I was going to be a minister, and now you know, you're not supposed to cuss those people out. You can do it to other people, I guess. But it was just so interesting, right? And the, the idea is your life as a light with Christ, by its very nature, if you don't hide it under a bowl, if you don't, if you don't hide your faith, it's just going to expose the sin around you. That's going to happen sometime because that's what light does in a dark world. But there are two other ways that we need to understand this as well exposing the deeds of darkness. Number one, we not only expose the sin around us, we expose the sin within us. The light of Christ exposes the sin within us. It exposes sin to us, but then we should then turn and expose it out to others. We are actually commanded in the New Testament, in places like James 5.16, to confess our sins to one another. And this doesn't mean to every single person, but it does mean that we need to be finding those that we are closer to, those mature Christian men and women that we feel comfortable with, to confess our sins to them. To say, I am struggling with sin. Will you pray for me? I am struggling with sin. Will you hear this confession and pray for me? We need to be confessing our sins to one another, brothers and sisters. We need to be exposing our own sins. But then there's a second way we need to understand this too. We need to expose the sin of others because we love them. There is a loving way to expose the sins of those around you because you love them. This is the exact opposite of sitting in judgment over someone. This is the exact opposite of condemning someone because you think they're such a horrible person. No, it's loving someone enough 
and caring about them enough to go to them and say, I'm concerned about your soul because of what I see in your life. To help them know that you care about their relationship with the Lord or you care about their eternal salvation enough to speak the truth in love to them and expose some sin in their life. I'm here to tell you, if you see me start struggling with a sin, if you see me start walking away from the Lord in a way, please do not stay silent. Please do not hope that someone else says something. Please do not just leave it alone and hope it resolves itself. Say something. If you love me, say something. Help me come back to the Lord. Expose it. Help me to see it. Because sometimes we don't see it in ourselves. Sometimes we've justified our own sins in our own hearts and in our own minds to the point to where we're not going to turn away from it until somebody says something. Somebody says, wake up. Look at what it says in verse 14. Wake up. Awake, O sleeper. Wake up. Sometimes it takes someone else to do that for us because they love us. And remember, it's got to be in love. It's got to be in love. It can never be in this pride of the Pharisees where we look down upon other people. We're calling people out because they're so horrible in their own sin. No, it's out of love. But we expose the sin of one another because we love each other. We said earlier that the light in the darkness is a person. Jesus. The light shines in the darkness But the darkness has not overcome it. That's Christ. The light that shines in the darkness. I want to draw your attention once more to verse 14 where it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Have you ever been asleep in a dark room and someone comes in and flips on all the lights? That does not feel nice. But it wakes you up. You get up. The light wakes you up from the sleeping that you were doing in the darkness. Well, for some of us in here, we need to hear that. Wake up. Wake up. Christ is saying to you this morning, wake up. It's daytime. Don't stay in the darkness any longer. Don't stay asleep. Come into the light. Listen to these words of Jesus from John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. He's talking about himself here. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus said that he came into the world as light, but people loved the darkness more. Why? Well, it wasn't because Jesus was not lovable. It was because their deeds were evil. And they didn't want their deeds to be exposed by the light. This is why it is sometimes hard for us to come to Jesus. Because our flesh cries out and is saying, don't 
go into that light because you're going to have to give this up. You're going to expose it. Don't do it. We want to hold on to this pleasure. We want to keep it. We want to have it. And all the while, Satan is convincing you that it's actually going to be for your detriment to go into the light. When in reality, he's got you on a nice, comfortable road to hell. Into eternal darkness. Come into the light. Jesus is calling you today. Don't remain in the darkness any longer. I know. I know what this feels like. A part of you doesn't want to come to the light. A part of you wants to resist, but that's your flesh crying out. Don't listen to it. It's a lie. Listen to the Spirit of God calling you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Don't you want to have a clean conscience? Don't you want your conscience to be clean before the Lord? Don't you want to stop feeling guilty all the time? Do you ever think, why do I keep doing this to myself? Have you ever thought that? Do you ever have that experience in life? Why do I keep doing this to myself? Come into the light. Let God expose your deeds and let God shine his light on your life, on your heart, and on your secrets. And it will be uncomfortable at first, but forgiveness and eternal life with God is worth whatever it takes. Right now we're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer. And we ask each week after our time in God's word, we ask you to go to God and to respond to whatever he has laid upon your heart. He speaks to us, we speak back to him. And so this is a time for all of us to spend responding to the Lord in whatever way that the the word that you have just heard has convicted you in your heart. And after we spend a few moments in silent prayer, all of us responding to God will come back together. We'll have a time of invitation where anyone who needs to respond to God's word publicly can do so. Let's pray.